Hey y'all and welcome back for another update from the Murdoch murder trial here in South Carolina. Before I get started with this past week's rundown, I just want to apologize for something. Now at the end of last week's update, I mentioned that I was going to have my sister on the show since she had attended the trial two days from that previous week, but she never mentioned doing it again. And I'm not one to hound family members or certain family members for reasons that I'm not going to like discuss here. But anyway, it just didn't work out. And I apologize for even ever mentioning it. But having said that, y'all, let's get on with this week's update. As you know, Monday was a holiday, so that meant no court, and court proceedings didn't get back underway until Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning started off with another jury or juror having to be replaced due to illness, and then Judge Newman took some time to scold the defense attorney, Jim Griffin. And it seems that Griffin retweeted an article by the Washington Post that called the criminal investigation into this case sloppy. Judge Newman asked Griffin if this was part of his strategy and then compared him to NBA star Kyrie Irving, who had been suspended from the Brooklyn Nets for retweeting an anti-Semitic post. And once those two matters were out of the way and the jury was seated, the first witness of the day was called to the witness stand. And y'all, that witness was Alex's son, Buster. Now, Buster told the court that he had grown up in Hampton County went to the public schools there and described a happy home life with his parents and his brother, Paul. He also talked about the Moselle property, and y'all, that was the first time I'd heard just how big that property is. It's like 1,700 acres of land, and that's a good bit of property. Now, the land is broken up into hunting parcels, and it has like these dove fields, because remember they kept talking about the sunflowers, um, and duck ponds. And he also said that there were a lot of guns on the property, including shotguns, rifles, and that 300 blackout that they mentioned often in this trial, plus all the ammunition for them. And actually, Buster and Paul had both received 300 blackouts for Christmas gifts one year, but at some point, Paul's had either been stolen or taken, so Paul had been using Buster's. Buster then talked about his dad visiting his own parents often after his mom had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and his dad had been diagnosed with cancer. And he said that his dad went to visit them regularly, but he didn't really have a certain schedule that he followed for those visits. And there was also a lot of talk about the GPS and the Almeida property where Alex's parents lived. As far as all the phone calls that showed up on Radovsky's report that I talked about on last week's update, um, Buster said that it was very normal for the four of them, meaning Buster, Paul, Maggie, and Alex, to be texting and calling each other many times throughout the day. 
As far as Murdoch's opioid addiction, Buster said that he knew a little about it because Maggie and Paul had found pills and shortly after that, Alex went to a detox facility and that was around 2018. Buster said he thought that his dad was doing better, but shortly after that, they found pills again. At that point, Alex did some in-home detox and again, Buster thought his dad had beat his addiction. Well, about the boat crash, she said that the media caused a negative opinion about the family and because of that, his mom distanced herself from the Hampton area and stayed a lot at the Edisto beach house that they have. On the Memorial Day weekend before the murders, Buster was in Edisto with his family. That weekend, they had also had a birthday celebration for Alex and Maggie had made him a birthday cake. The following weekend, Buster, his girlfriend, and Maggie and Alex had gone to some baseball games all together in Columbia. And then they moved on to the night of the murders. And Buster said that he found out about the murders of his brother and, and mom from his dad, but he didn't remember exactly what time that was. When he arrived at Moselle around 2.30 a.m. the next morning, Buster said that his dad looked destroyed and he was crying. Now, remember how I talked about Alex offering a reward of $100,000 for information on those murders and he had set a deadline of September the 1st? Remember that? Well, that was way back in the original episodes that I did about all of this. Um, That was last year. But Buster said that he wasn't sure why his dad has set a deadline and I was hoping that he was really going to answer because I don't recall ever hearing of a deadline um, for giving information. But anyway, Buster said that after the roadside shooting, his dad never spent another night at Moselle as far as he knew. Now, last week I talked about how it was brought out that it's believed that Alex has said in that video, that um, dash cam video, that I did him so bad, but Buster said that his dad had actually said they did him so bad, not or did them so bad, not I. And then it was time for the the cross, uh, the defense or the sorry, all the prosecution to have their turn at cross examining Buster, and basically they just really went over. Everything that the defense had asked him, nothing really new came out of that cross-examination. Now, next to testify on Tuesday was Mike Sutton. And Sutton is a a consulting forensic engineer, and in his career, he's worked approximately 50 shooting cases. Sutton was hired by the defense, and he reconstructed the shooting at their request, and he discussed his findings in court and then compare it to SLED's findings. And one thing that stood out to me in his testimony is that his findings showed that the shooter was around five foot two to five foot four inches in height. Murdoch stands six foot three. But Sutton also said that in his opinion it could have been Alex who had taken those shots with the three hundred blackout, and I'm sure that information was probably music to his defense attorney's ears. Now, during the prosecution's cross-examination of Sutton, it was brought out that um, 
Sutton had worked for Alex Murdoch on the boat crash case after the defense attorney Jim Griffin had called him. And it was also made known that Sutton had no possibility of someone kneeling to fire those shots. Now, that's what the prosecution asked them. Could somebody have possibly been kneeling? Sutton replied that he had not created a rendering of that possibility. And that was one thing I had thought about, too. Like, could they have possibly been kneeling? Maybe to steady themselves or whatever. But um, they hadn't explored that possibility. Now, after a redirect and a recross examination, court was adjourned for that day. And that brings us to Wednesday. And it started out with the announcement that Alex Murdoch could possibly be taking the witness stand for the defense before this trial would end. And it's very rare that a criminal defendant takes the stand and testifies. So this announcement was major news. Now, much of the morning was taken up with discussing the defense's concern that was to what extent his client would be crossing or their client would be cross-examined about the financial crime charges that Alex Murdoch is facing. And this was just before the jury was seated. Now, after they were seated, the defense fifth, or I'm not going to say fifth because I believe it was further on down the line than that. But anyway, their witness, Kenneth Zersi, was put on the stand. And Zersi is considered an expert in fingerprint, footprint, and fire or uh, tire track evidence. Y'all, I don't do well sometimes with the speaking thing. But anyway, Xerxes' opinion was that Sled had conducted a poor examination and preservation of the crime scene. And he went on to say that first responders violated standard operating procedures because they had walked through the crime scene without putting those protective, um, not protective for them, but like the fit coverings that you see, I, I, I think you see, like surgeons and that type of thing wear them too um and in doing so they may have destroyed critical evidence and he also added that the sheet that was used to cover paul's body may have destroyed or removed trace dna act evidence also taking the stand that day was barbara mixon who is the housekeeper for alex murdoch's mom libby and she disputed the state's blue tarp theory while she was briefly on the stand that day. And that was pretty much it for Wednesday. Um, up until this point, even up until after Miss Mixon, the defense has been going through their defense witnesses pretty fast. But y'all, now we're up to Thursday, and I have to admit that I haven't been watching every single minute of the trial it's time consuming it can get pretty boring and then you know you've got other things you have to do because like you know i'm still a student in school i've had to get nick and my grandson jacks back and forth to school and um, plus this past week it was nick's birthday um and you know everything else that goes on with life but y'all you can bet your soul that i had my ipad propped up beside me with court tv on these next two days of the trial now a lot of what i'm about to tell you about alex murdoch's testimony is going to have my opinion along with what was said in court but i feel like my opinion 
matches the general consensus opinion out there just from what I'm reading on social media. So, y'all, when when court started on Thursday, and as I had mentioned earlier, the defense had concerns about to what extent Murdoch would be questioned by the prosecution about the financial crime charges. And the defense had asked for a ruling by Judge Newman on those concerns to be handed down no later than on Thursday. But Judge Newman, he decided not to hand down a formal ruling on that, but he said that he would go over Murdoch's rights with him if he wanted. So Judge Newman explained Murdoch's rights and told him that if he did decide to testify, that he would be subject to cross-examination by the prosecution. And Newman also said that if he decided not to testify after all, that the jury couldn't hold that against him. And after explaining his rights to him, Newman asked Murdoch if he needed to discuss anything with his defense team and if he still wanted to testify. And Murdoch's answer was, quote, no, sir, I don't need to talk to them anymore. I am going to testify. I want to testify. Now, I just want to say with him saying that he didn't need to talk to his defense team anymore. It gave many people on social media, including me and my mom, who I've told y'all, she has been invested in this Murdoch fiasco since day one. But it gave everybody a quick bit to talk about because I believe, you know, a lot of people took it that he was done with them. And honestly, really, who could blame him? Because it does seem like the defense has a bit of a three-ring circus going on. But what I really feel like he meant by that was he didn't need to discuss his taking the witness stand with his attorneys any further. Later, Dark, uh, Dick Harpoolian told the court that it hurt his feelings that Alex didn't need to talk to him. But And, and you know, that got a little bit of a chuckle from those that were attending court. But I believe that he probably meant that just as a joke. Now, at that point, the court took a break so that Murdoch could use the restroom. And once they were back, Murdoch, he put him on some chapstick. And um, that was one thing I noticed. I don't know why that stood out to me. But um, anyway, he slathered on that chapstick and he was ready to take the stand. Now, defense attorney Jim Griffin was the one that would be questioning Murdoch. And he started that direct by asking Alex Murdoch, if he had killed his wife and son while showing him versions of the weapons. Murdoch denied killing his wife and son and then said that he would not do anything to intentionally hurt Paul and Maggie. Now, I want to stress the word intentionally here because, now you know, we know that he had that opioid addiction. So, was he saying that in a pill, like a pill-fueled moment he had killed them? I mean, maybe, but you know, he's the only one that can answer that question and he's probably never going to answer that question or admit to it because he has been vehemently defending his, his innocence in this case. He, he is, he's in his words as he is not guilty of this, but anyway, y'all, he also described the moment that he found his wife and son. And I want to bring up here that he started referring to Paul and Maggie and a few others also, but mostly them by nicknames. You know, he would call Paul, Paul, Paul. 
and Maggie was being called Mags. Now, not one time in any of the questioning or interrogation videos is he heard referring to either of them by those nicknames. And in my opinion, I felt that he was just trying to convey to the jury that he loved them by calling them those nicknames. Maybe it was an appeal to them that he loved them and couldn't have killed them. And the defense caught on to that too and asked him about it in their cross-examination. But I'll get to the cross-examination in just a couple of minutes. He also admitted to the defense while on the stand that he had lied to at least three police officers about the last time he had seen his family alive. Now, after a lunch break, the direct by the defense moved on into Murdoch's drug addiction. And he said that because of his addiction or the cause of his addiction came after a football injury that he had gotten in college. He had several surgeries that ended up failing to fix the problem, take away the pain. So he was prescribed painkillers and he became addicted to them. Well, soon after that, the cross-examination began. Creighton Waters began with talking about how Alex Murdoch had came from a prominent lawyer family and about Murdoch's own success in his legal career. And I do want to note here, too, that Murdoch did say on the stand that sitting there today, he didn't feel like a successful lawyer just because how everything has came about. Well, then they moved on to Murdoch's behavior at the hospital after Paul's boat crash. And you may recall from my episodes about all of these events, Alex Murdoch went from room to room at the hospital asking those kids who had been injured in that boat crash to not rat his boy out by telling authorities that Paul had been the one driving the boat when it crashed. And the prosecution showed Murdoch a photo of himself with his solicitor's badge, and it looks like a, you know, sheriff's deputy badge or whatever. But um, that picture showed it hanging from Murdoch's pocket, like one of his pants pockets. And Waters said that by displaying it that way, it seemed to suggest that he was trying to get special favors from law enforcement and the hospital staff so that he could gain access to areas of the hospital that he wouldn't have otherwise. And then the prosecution moved on to Murdoch stealing money from his clients. Several of those clients that Waters mentioned that Murdoch had stolen from had been left either disfigured or handicapped from their accidents. And Murdoch didn't deny any of that. So that was basically it for Thursday. Court was adjourned that day at 530 Before I get into Friday, I just want to say that there was one thing that stood out to me while I was watching Alex Alex Murdoch talk on the witness stand, and you could tell by the movements that he was making with his mouth and the fact that he was having kind of a hard time speaking that he had a dry mouth. And this has been proven that when people lie, they will have trouble speaking sometimes because the mucous membranes in the mouth dry out as part of the as part of the body's response to lying. There was actually even a body language expert on the news later that evening talking about that after Murdoch had been on the stand. Now, when court resumed on Friday morning, the prosecution kept the financial crimes theme before moving on to the day of the murders. 
Now, one lie that Waters brought out that Murdoch had told the police was that he had lied about being with Maggie and Paul at the dog kennels just minutes before they were killed. From the time this investigation started up until recently, I mean, like, just a few days ago, Murdoch has insisted that he was never at the kennels. Well, that lie was disproven by the video that was found on Paul's phone. And before ending his cross-examination, Waters named nearly four dozen people, including Maggie and Paul, other family members, law partners, clients, and police that he had lied to. Murdoch agreed that he had lied to most of them. And then Waters continued by asking Murdoch about for like more details about what happened at the dog kennels and told him that he was asking because this was all new information too. It's like since he had admitted to lying about it the day before. Murdoch said that he may have gotten blood on his hands from getting a dead chicken out of one of the dog's mouth, and that dog was Bubba. Um, and he didn't remember the last words that he told Maggie and Paul. Shortly after that, Murdoch said that he blamed anger that was expressed on social media as the reason that his son and wife were killed by someone. Waters replied by telling Murdoch that that explanation defied logic. And then he asked Murdoch if he was telling the jury that his wife and son were killed by random vigilantes who would know when they would be at the kennels alone on June the 7th between 8.49 and 9.02 p.m. Murdoch said that he didn't agree with that entire statement, but some of it. Then they, he, the prosecution brought up the step count from Murdoch's phone that I mentioned on last week's update. So that was brought up, and um, he asked if that would be a way for him, as in Murdoch, to show that he couldn't have been the killer. And the evidence had already been shown that Murdoch's phone hadn't been taken with him to the kennels. Murdoch denied trying to manufacture an alibi. And that was pretty much it for Friday in court. But later that night, though, news broke that after Murdoch had stepped from the witness stand, Calden County charged him with a misdemeanor. Now, as of right now, it hasn't been officially said what that charge was about. But there's one news reporter that I follow on social media, and he has said that it stems from the book that Alex Murdoch's sister handed him in court, and that was considered contraband. Now, that's not 100% the gospel, but considering this news reporter is never wrong about anything and is on top of everything, I think we can pretty much believe that. Now, the, the Colleton County Jail website has not updated what those charges are, um, and a lot of the other news sources are saying that they it hasn't been released what that was about but i'm just telling you what i have seen now i have seen a lot on social media since friday that um has been saying stuff like you know the defense did or not the defense but the prosecution did not prove their case against alex murdoch 
while they had him on the stand. Because, uh, you know, basically they're saying that they, you know, the prosecution wasn't aggressive enough in their cross-examination. Now, they weren't all that aggressive, but I do have to say, I feel like they did kind of pretty much prove their case because Murdoch admitted to lying, you know, and he finally fessed up and said that he had been at the kennels. I believe that he probably would still be saying he hadn't been down there if there hadn't been that video, if there hadn't been like all this GPS evidence that's been presented. But um, he he admitted that he was at the kennels just minutes before Alex or Maggie and Paul had been murdered. You know, there was so much body language going on with uh, Alex on the stand. Like I was talking about the dry mouth. Uh, there was so many times that he would be asked something by the prosecution that he either answered that he basically didn't know or the, um, he would, he asked that they repeat a lot of questions too. And it was almost like he was distracted. Like maybe he had mentally put himself away from that courtroom and just wasn't fully honed in on what he was being asked. Of course, all of that is just opinion for me. Um, but anyway, y'all, that's all I have for tonight's update. Court will resume on Monday morning at 9.30 a.m. And the defense has said that they have a couple more witnesses to call before everything starts wrapping up. Now, like I said, I, you know, last week, I believe that this would be the week that everything starts to wrap up. I was wrong, but I really do feel like we're going to wrap up this case this coming week. Now, starting this week, I'm going to start giving nightly updates instead of weekend updates. Um, and once, you know, they have wrapped it up with their closing arguments and whatnot, we all are going to be on verdict watch. And you can bet I'll be bringing that to you as soon as it happens. Y'all have a good night. Mm -hmm.